Hey there, Luxa here, host of Luxa Cult, a podcast where we gleefully taunt the mundane, butcher the Latin and most other languages, and also discuss a variety of occult topics. Exploring the intersection of science, magic, art, and philosophy through the lens of chaos, it's occultism for everyone. Luxa Cult features interviews with badass authors, artists, and magicians of all walks and experience levels, as well as audiomantic nonsense, cut-up poetry, bibliomancy breaks, and so much more. Don't miss my conversation with Frater Yara about the magic of language, or the episode with the Whole Faith Blind Council crew featuring a meditation for the Green Mushroom Project, which is a large-scale group working focused on building connection and regaining ground that you can be a part of. You can hear Lexical on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. So tune in and join us for the ride. Hey there, friends and fiends. Flood here. Although it will not be a topic that we will talk about for more than a few seconds, I will offer a trigger warning here and let you know that personal experiences of self-harm will be briefly discussed tonight. I will offer another warning right before we talk about it later in this episode. That being said, If you or someone you know is experiencing thoughts of self-harm, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. XV Planis is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Memory is a flawed, frail, and fickle thing. Even without trying to crack open the secrets of human consciousness and perhaps the universe itself... Our own ability to retain information can be affected by so many variables that any of our recollections could be called into question. This is not uncommon in the slightest. For instance, I'm sure a fair amount of you can remember a gathering of family or friends that was meaningful to you as well as many of the people you'd consider to be close to you. And if you sat around a table with six of those people, you'd all recall the major events in your memory roughly in the same way. But maybe you'd all recall some of the smaller details differently. Perhaps you remember Aunt Edna's sweater as blue with silver buttons, yet your siblings remember a gray sweater with gold buttons. But what happens when a large quantity of human beings recall certain historical events differently? and in great detail. The best-known example to speak of would be what has come to be known as the Mandela Effect, in which a large percentage of the world's population remembers former South African President Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the late 1980s, when in reality, he passed away a free man in 2013. Transcending the concepts of mass hysteria, many people share this same recollection. I myself even remember the televised coverage of the funeral procession, but apparently that didn't happen. So what is the reality here? Are we misremembering things? Has history been rewritten? Are we catching a momentary glimpse into an adjacent dimension or reality? Join us tonight as we begin to tear our universe apart. Welcome to XV Planets. Greetings, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. Welcome back to XV Planets. 
transmitting from the Black Lodge as always. I am your host, Flood, and as always, I am very happy to be back here to dive further into the weird with you. Apologies for the delay in new content, but please understand that this guy needed a little bit of a breather after the gauntlet that was our coverage of the Sally House. Our next big investigation that we'll be sharing with you will debut with Part 1 on July 9th with the potential of an early release, especially for those on our Patreon. By the way, we have a Patreon. And subscribers will get episodes a solid 24 hours before anyone else and in better sound quality, higher bit rates, and completely uncut. No, we're not telling you what our next investigation is just yet, but if you've been paying attention... You have a pretty good idea. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Regarding the Patreon, there's not much posted there just yet, but in the next few weeks there will be a pretty ridiculous amount of content added, including extended versions of some of our Estes sessions, complete with video. And you can find that at www.patreon.com xvplanus. Links will also be provided in the show notes. Now, before we go plummeting into the selection of weird we will be taste-testing this evening, it has been a while since I have done a science update, and there are a few items of interest I'd like to point out just in case you missed them. So, we're going to start off with uh, Black Hole Sounds, Won't You Come? Sorry, I had to. Since 2003, the black hole at the center of the Perseus Galaxy Cluster has been associated with sound. This is because astronomers discovered that pressure waves sent out by the black hole caused ripples in the cluster's hot gas that could be translated into a note. One that humans cannot hear, some 57 octaves below middle C. Now a new sonification brings more notes to this black hole sound machine. This new sonification, that is, the translation of astronomical data into sound, was released for NASA's Black Hole Week earlier this year, uh, actually just a few weeks ago, and we'll have the links in the show notes for you. But just to cut straight to it, here it is, my friends. This is the reconstruction of the sound of a black hole. That, my friends, is metal as f**k. It's somewhat convenient that this sound comes out when it did and that we are starting the journey that we are beginning this evening. And while we will touch on this in greater detail further into this series, I can only plant a seed for a few at the moment. There are some of you who have experienced altered states of consciousness where that sound, or something very similar to it, was present or at times all-encompassing. Tell me I'm wrong. You psychonauts know exactly what I'm talking about. So isn't that fascinating? You're going to have to stick with us for quite a while before we roll back into that concept, though. So, you know, please be patient. we got a lot of ground to cover before we start going into uh, altered states of human consciousness. Now, a little bit further on the Nerd Alert rundown. Voyager 1's antenna seems to be... um, 
sending some odd data back to NASA right now. And, I mean, honestly, like, given its, its run of functioning as well as it has up until this point, I'm kind of shocked that something like this hasn't happened up until now. However, I did just get done having a, a rewatch of the original Star Trek The Motion Picture uh, viewing, and, um, yeah, V'ger. I think that's the only reason I really wanted to mention this, is that, uh, is this the beginning of V'ger? I don't know, we'll see what happens. But isn't that impressive, though, that the Voyager is still functioning just as well as it was since launch, with the exception of this uh, misalignment of its tail. So we'll keep you posted on that and see what happens. Now, the last little bit to mention is the now, like, I, I guess not not even talked about, murmured about, house panel on UFOs. That's right. We have finally now gotten to the point where our government is now holding open hearings regarding the UFO slash UAP phenomenon and seeing what comes of that. Uh, what has come of this so far is absolutely nothing, but I will say that it is an important moment that we are at right now. The fact that we are willing to openly talk about this. So we're getting a little bit closer to transparency, but not all the way. There's still a lot of things that we are not being told, uh, data that is not being shared with us. We will continue to pursue this until we figure out what's really going on. Um, I think at this point it's more up to us than our government. Anyway, that being said, heading on into the weird waters of the evening. Now, this originally started as a idea for a two-parter on the concept of the Mandela Effect. Unfortunately, doing the research into the Mandela Effect can actually drive one mad, and that sent me off down a whole laundry list of rabbit holes that we will eventually get to because da-da-da-da, this is no longer a two-parter series. Welcome to uh, the first part of uh, however many years it's going to take for us to figure it out series on alternate or uh, uh, adjacent realities, dimensions, and things of that nature. So, without further ado, let's dive into it. Uh, for this conversation, I did invite Walker and Alejandro to come back into the studio. So, that being said, let's roll that conversation. All right, friends and fiends, at this point, I would like to welcome back into the Black Lodge, Walker and Alejandro. Gentlemen, as always, thank you for joining me again. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. Well, I, I mean, at this point, you're you're part of the the core of XV Planus, so uh, I should say you better be here. Jeez. <laughs> it's a commitment. <laughs> All right, so uh, the way that this concept originally started is we were going to do a one, maybe two-part episode on the Mandela Effect. Ooh. I'm going to have to insert a theremin in there. Um, what I can tell you is that doing what little research that I did into the Mandela Effect, the fact that I experienced it myself and the whole series of rabbit holes that that ended up catapulting me into... This has now turned into a multi-parter series that will probably be scattered throughout the course of the next couple of years. Welcome to Alternate Realities and Dimensions, 
part one, that's one hella Mandela. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, what we're going to do with this series is uh, start to look at some of the different forms of uh, fringe theories about some of uh, the oddities that we experience. Um and we're going to start with the most well-known, or at least the most talked about in uh, pop culture, which would be the Mandela Effect. Now, the term Mandela Effect was first coined in 2009 by Fiona Broom when she created a website to detail her observance of the phenomenon. Broom was at a conference talking with other people about how she remembered the tragedy of former South African President Nelson Mandela's death in a South African prison in the 1980s. However, Nelson Mandela did not die in the 1980s in a prison. He passed away in 2013. As Broom began to talk with other people about her memories, she learned that she was not alone. Others remembered seeing news coverage of his death, as well as a speech by his widow. Broom was shocked that such a large mass of people could remember the same identical event in such detail when it never happened. Uh, encouraged by her book publisher, she began her website to discuss what she called the Mandela Effect and other incidents like it, most of which tend to spring from iconic images. A few examples of this that we've experienced are the big ones. Berenstein Bears or Berenstain Bears, gentlemen? Berenstein. Yeah, I always thought they were Jewish. So Berenstein made I a lot like more sense. I feel like me as a kid would have recognized the word stain in a name and would have at least chuckled at it or something. Yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. So, um, oh, Fruit of the Looms logo. Did it ever have a cornucopia? I remember the cornucopia. I definitely remember the cornucopia, and I do feel like a, like a, like a late uh, rebranding kind of makes a little bit of sense, you know. Hmm. I feel like they may have switched it up a little bit, but I've always but remembered didn't. all the fruit. Yeah, there have been didn't. commercials. I mean, there have been, like, I can think vividly back to, like, Fruit of the Loom commercials at the Super Bowl. But we cannot find any proof of those here now. I mean, that's pretty wild. Yeah, it's, that's pretty from, nuts. From what I recall, I think they fed into it at one point, because I think on, like, April Fool's Day one year, Oh yeah, yeah. By yeah. this by this point, mm -hmm. anybody who has uh, suffered as, as being part of the Mandela effect ended up getting. Well, they ended up joining in on the fun, which mm -hmm. unfortunately makes it incredibly hard to track. Right, um, muddies the water. But I, for me, I like I'll actually go with the first one that this whole theory is named off of, the Mandela effect. Like I remember Nelson Mandela dying in prison. I remember seeing it on the news, the uh, huge funeral procession. Uh, I remember the widows uh, having the speech. So this is the; those are the ones that I try to look for. I'm, I look for more like culturally significant events as opposed to the iconography, which seems to be where everybody picks it up from because you know we're capitalist society and you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go off on that tangent right now. I swear, <laughs> but it's actually pretty hard to find significant cultural events that link up to this. I mean, the, the Nelson Mandela thing is one, the only other big one that, uh, I keep running across is discrepancies on when the tragedy of the challenger space shuttle happened. Now, according to this timeline, it's 1986, but I remember it being 1984. 
yeah. I, I wasn't around back in in, in that day, but uh, Damn, I remember it being old. like <laughs> when I learned about it in school, being towards the end of the eighties. So I feel like eighty six would probably line up more with that than eighty four. Hmm. So. About you? Yeah, I I also wasn't around. That was that was before my time. Um, I remembered it being like around eighty six, eighty seven, just on learning. But that yeah. again is what you know. That's just what is taught. Like that's, most that's of my in, stuff in, in that terms timeline. is like what is taught, and I guess you can prove pictures either way. But I feel like I need to photographic people my own age. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. All right. So with the Mandela effect, like I said, it seems to come up the most often in um, iconic images. It tends to happen a lot with mascot emblems of companies, things like that. So let's talk about some of the uh, the really really wild ones that um, that have kind of driven people nuts. So, Looney Tunes. Spell Looney Tunes. I definitely remember Tunes being T U N E S because I I love classical music, and that's very much where that was coming from Looney Tunes because it was set to the music. All right, I remember it being um, L O O N E Y. And then T-O-O-N-S. All right. So I had this conversation with him the other night, with Alejandro about this the other night. I actually remember them both. <laughs> no, no. And I remember um, that the the older cartoons, like before they kind of redesigned most of the characters to the ones that became more popular, like during the 50s and 60s. Um, I remember those older ones being... T-U-N-E-S. And it wasn't until the later years that I started seeing T-O-O-N-E-S. So I'm seeing both sides of the coin here. And that that one's actually really messed with me because I specifically remember summers. I would go hang out at my grandmother and granddad's house. They had three channels. I was a child of the 90s. I wanted my television, of course. And so I would mess with those rabbit ears all day long. And the only thing that I could occasionally get is uh, like the, the local channel that would play Looney Tunes four times a day, two in the morning and two at night. I remember through the course of several summers seeing it spelled both ways. And I also remember it in my head as the differences between the U-N-E-S and the O-O-N-S. I remember an artistic style being completely different during that time frame. So now I'm going to have to go on this whole other Looney Tunes rabbit hole. This may uh-huh. end up being the death of me. Trying to figure all of this stuff out. Yeah, because as this episode progresses, we're going to find out just how bad this thing is messing with my head. I feel like when you think about it, like to an extent, though, it, it, it bleeds into um, like trying to understand your own like mental shortcomings and like really coming to terms with all of that. Oh no, I'm I'm well aware of those. That's why I'm in <laughs> therapy and I I do quite well on that end, my friend. Absolutely. No, I totally understand that, but I'm just, you know, that's probably what I would preface in terms of you saying like I'm going to work on this forever and it's like, well, you know, is it worth it to put all that energy into trying to figure that stuff out? Well, I think you have to ask yourself another question before you ask that. And that is, did I slide over into an alternate reality when I was younger? Who knows? But we're going to talk about that here in a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we got to figure that out for sure. (laughs) All right, so that's uh, Mandela, the challenger, Berenstein or Berenstain. It's Berenstain.
Berenstain. Berenstain. Thank you. <laughs> Looney Tunes or Looney Tunes. Um, the Target logo. That's that's another one. Um, people seem to remember either uh, another extra white dot in the center of the Target or an extra ring around it. I feel like I remember the extra ring. Like, yeah, uh, uh, the earlier mm-hmm. versions of Target. Yeah. That seems right to me. It really does. Yeah. I guess Before the for simplification sure. of a lot of logos and stuff as the years have gone on. Picture versus portrait of Dorian Gray. You're the one who yeah. brought this one. I, I very much remember portrait of Dorian Gray. I mean, that's those those great illustrated classic series of those kind of books and stuff. I love that stuff. And so I definitely remember portrait of Dorian Gray because it's a painting of him. It feels like that makes sense to me. Portrait of Dorian Gray rather than picture, which is, you know, it's it's a little bit more. I've always remembered it of, as picture of Dorian Gray. Walker, what about you? I honestly don't even know. Uh, <laughs> Not is. an Oscar Wilde fan. All right. No. I, I dressed up as, as the portrait of Dorian Gray uh, for uh, Comic-Con a few years ago. So that that speaks to... How how did you ever find pictures of that? I you know I didn't look enough, but yeah, I, I you got just, like yeah, I got to see. I this, carried man. around the the picture portrait frame and everything that's, with me. That's it was fun. It was a good time. Brilliant. I mean, there's something similar coming around pretty soon. I don't know if you know that that's on your radar, oh, but I do not. But definitely going to look into that. Yeah. Continuing on with uh, pop culture reality discrepancies, Kit Kat, or was it Kit Dash Cat? I remember the hyphen. I remember the hyphen. Yeah, it was hyphenated because it's not really like any words. It's just yeah, but it's not. It's just Kit Kat. No, see, I, I, I could see them changing that as well. But but they never did. Yeah. Okay, so here's one: Pikachu's tail. I swear to God, there was a black tip on that thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I definitely don't remember that. I. Uh... Played a lot of Pokemon back in my day. I even had, like, a big old stuffed animal of Pikachu. It's always been yellow for you? It's always been yellow. Like, the ear tips, you know, mm. are tipped oh, black. I have, black, like, so 500 I feel like that's... Pokemon cards somewhere. Don't know where they are. I, yeah, I literally have, like... Doesn't matter. We're in the universe. Pikachu. You're only going to find the yellow ones. You know, I think no, I might even I have one in my wallet. I Charizard. <laughs> Vividly. All right. All right. But, yeah, like, that... that Pikachu stuffed animal that I had, like the tail even came out, uh, like it like tore out, and I gave it to my mother to uh, to fix. I never saw that thing again, unfortunately. Maybe it went on to greener pastures, but the the tail definitely did not have a black tip. And I have a Pikachu Pokemon card right here in my wallet, <laughs> and there is no black tip on the tail, but there are black tips on the ears. <laughs> oh, I love that you have that in your wallet. Actually, I think Wouldn't I it be couple. wild if I found my Pokemon cards from way back in the day and it had a black <laughs> tip on it? The, it if you wild, do, we're yeah. gonna crack a, we're gonna crack the universe open. Sounds like I need to go dig through my parents' attic. I think you do. We put yeah. these two Pikachu's together. You never know. Well, yeah. split the world in two, man. That shit would be wild. I'll pull out my stash of my thirty different Pikachu cards. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. So we're we're gonna wrap up this list of uh, like commonly known um, Mandela effect examples with the one that really, really like this, this one, this one messes with my head. I'm not going to lie. Who made stove top stuffing Walker Stouffer's Alejandro Stouffer's 
We are wrong. It was made by Kraft, and I call lies on this. I call lies. We all remember Stouffer's stovetop stuffing. Like, it it just, it rolls off the tongue. Mm -hmm. It makes makes so much sense. We know this. We know this. Like, this is the one. Out of all of the other examples of the Mandela effect, this is the one that makes me want to punch my computer. Oh, God, I'm actually going to have to bleep myself out, and I've been doing so good at it. The dolphin noise. i got to remember to do the dolphin noise. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is, it really is the one, it's the one that messes with me the most. Um, I don't know why. I, I, my brother and I had a conversation about this the other night, and it turned into like a 30-minute screaming match. You're like, no, stuffers, stuffers, ah, stuffers, yes, stuffers. So it's uh, it was Stouffer's. Like I never had it, but Stouffer's so Don't you laugh at me? <laughs> stuffing just it really does just roll off the tongue. I never had it myself, but oh, Stouffer's really stovetop stuffing it just that just really clicks, I guess. <laughs> I know, right? Stouffer's stovetop stuffing is mm-hmm. amazing. I don't know about this craft crap. <laughs> never had it. Not gonna try it. Back in my universe, we had Stouffer stovetop stuffing. It's the most egregious one. <laughs> well, can anybody else think of any other uh, any other examples regarding this? Like uh, any any big whoppers worth noting? I think the Dolly's braces one from the movie Moonraker, one of the uh, James Bond movies. That one got me because I watched. I think probably all of the James Bond movies back, you know, growing up and all of that. And so in Moonraker, that features Jaws as one of the villains, right? Right. And so there was that connection with his girlfriend, Dolly, who I remember having braces, and that was the whole connection between them. You know, he's got metal teeth, she's got braces. But apparently, she did not. No braces. So that's one of those that, that I've definitely seen... Uh, talked about for sure is our dolly's braces it's not one that i've heard of yeah but an interesting one nonetheless i thought that one was interesting was the um the jiff versus jiffy i remember jiffy i remember jiffy i remember them both Hmm. see i remember skippy and jiff and i remember there was a like an auto detailing shop down the uh road from my grandparents house called jiffy lube so, I definitely didn't associate that with peanut butter growing up. Yeah, peanut butter does not make great lube. <laughs> no. I'm sorry, you set yourself up for that one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're just not trying hard enough. <laughs> That's why you need to not not bring yourself attitude. to a snail's pace. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, all right. Go right. on some jiffy. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, no! <laughs> There's so also um, people always think about um, like Oscar Mayer. Was it an A or an E? I, I I say E, but we live in the universe where it's A, right? I think it's E, isn't it? I actually saw. I don't know if it's the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, but I saw A or an Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. In Phoenix, it's M A Y E R. Nice. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. We live in the universe of the A. 
Yeah. Do we? If, I don't uh, know. What the hell is going on here? I think the, even the internet is getting confused about this. Oh, my also, God. We're seeing okay. it, we're seeing so it wait, in wait, action. Wait. Quick side note. I need to share this with you guys. You know that I'm not like a diehard car fan or, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm not a gearhead, not really my bag of tricks, but I do have three dream cars. One. 1968 Lincoln Continental, black with the suicide doors, convertible, all leather interior. Yes, absolutely. Clean. Two, 1968 Lincoln hearse, because those things are rad. And the uh, last is going to, it's the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile. <laughs> I want it. I, I, I want it. I want it. I, I want to paint it black. I want to make it a goth hot dog just flying down the road. You see a hot dog and some, you want to put a nitrous set up on that thing. Put some like silver flame. That's on. one hot dog. <laughs> I'm fired. Okay. <laughs> clear about it. Uh, but yeah, no, we, we live in the universe of Oscar Meyer. M-A-Y-E-R. Interesting. Um, Curious George, did he or did he not have a tail? No, he's a chimpanzee. Chimpanzees do not have tails. I thought he had a tail because he would like climb around with a tail. Like I that. remember a tail. You guys are ridiculous. He's a chimpanzee. Chimpanzees do not have tails. We he rem- would swing around like on like limbs and stuff with his tail. Yep, it was like funny to yep. watch him like switch between his tail and his arms. Hmm. Chimpanzees do not have tails. <laughs> Monopoly guy, monocle or no? Yeah. I think that one, I, I don't think so. I think that might get conflated with the, the Mr. Peanut. No. No, he would, like, look at you with his monocle. Yeah, I, mm. I remember the animations for it back in the early uh, McDonald's campaigns. That was a thing, yeah. Hmm. So I'm calling Mandela on that one because that the monocle exists somewhere. I remember Mr. Peanut having all that fancy stuff, too. Top hat, monocle, cane. What are those called? Uh, d- d- spats. Okay. Does anybody remember it being called Cheese It's with a Z at the end? I think so. I don't no, like. Them. I don't I've remember there being a really Z. Been. I think I just always called them Cheese It's because because we just add S's to stuff. I've never liked them, so I... yeah, they oh, pretty much are so good. But I, I I don't remember there ever being a Z. Walker, I love you so much, man. Like you're a brother to me i i enjoy that you come on all of my investigations but you have the absolute worst food habits out of all of us <laughs> and i don't know how that's possible because i eat like a chef which by the way if you're a chef you eat very poorly because um you don't want to think about food so you make bad decisions at like two or three in the morning like that pistachio cheesecake that's sitting in my fridge right now dun 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 Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not gonna act like I have cheese that's in my in my uh, pantry, but I do appreciate a cheese. It is all that I'm saying. Like, am I gonna grab like a bag of chips, or am I gonna grab like a little bag of cheese? It's like I'm probably gonna grab a little bag of cheese. It's. I'll probably just grab a giant hunk of cheese and some bread. I just oh god, cheese it's. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. All right. The I extra toasty. No, thank you. They have Fruit. sriracha. <laughs> Pepper hey, Jack. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Nabisco does not sponsor us. 
<laughs> so like, please, like save that yes. energy though. Like save yeah. it. Like you hey, just know hey. that I'm ready for any board meeting. <laughs> oh God, we're gonna start doing fast uh fast food promos en route to paranormal <laughs> hotspots with this guy. Listen, the we way gotta that pull I in eat... here for a burger. Hi, I'm Walker. When I'm not chasing ghosts or aliens, I'm chasing I'm a burger. this massive burger at <laughs> in her name here. <laughs> Yo, shout out billiards in uh, Missouri. That was a ball and burger. That, that, that was, was probably, I would say, speaking for Alejandro, the best uh, vegetarian meal you had the entire time. Which place was this? The I... burger joint that we stopped at on the oh. way back from Sally House. After the oh yeah 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 oh yeah the I one just like had, directly yeah. after. Mm-hmm. I just had portobello steaks earlier. They were delicious, and so was that sandwich back then. And shout out Twelve Bones, always down for a local sponsor. Oh, blueberry chipotle. How did this descend into food madness? This is not what we're here for. Ah, all right. Well, so, stovetop stuffing. You started it. <laughs> Oscar you know, Mayer, baby. That's, uh, Oscar yeah, Mayer. See, this mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. You started it. <laughs> My baloney has a first name. It's O-S-E-A-R. <laughs> we're not getting paid by Oscar Mayer either, so I'm going to call myself on that one. Did you also ever think that Febreze had two E's? Never cared enough to look. Hmm. <laughs> that's fair. That's that's not one of those things I, that I'm dying to understand. But wouldn't the, it make more I, proper yeah, spelling? I feel of. like like E E Z is what I would probably think of as the. Yeah, uh, you would think E E Z. Yeah. 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 Nope. No. I know it's, it's just Easy E. Yeah. Some people do remember it being. Wait. Weird, so it's so. Easy E. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. Like spell like like. You know, word wise. Right. Audibly. Does not make sense. <laughs> it doesn't like breeze. Right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah, I'm just over here be. trying to think of how to rework easy E lyrics to be about making my couch <laughs> smell good. Um we'll come back to that later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh all right. So any other examples of of this like alternate plane that people might be getting glimpses of? Walker, any other big whoppers stand out to you? I mean, there you go with the ab- food again. There was one about Mona Lisa. Oh, the eyebrows, right? It's the smile. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I think I remember something about eyebrows and the Mona Lisa. I think I, th- I think that one was planted. <coughs> I, I don't think that one really. Yeah. I always remember like the Mona Lisa smile being this like mysterious, like half smiling, yeah, I thought that she smiling smile. question uh, mark smirk. Like, like more of a smirk. It's like yeah. the shadow of a smile or something like that. A hint of a smile. Yeah, this whole idea that she had Joker makeup with the Glasgow smile happening is just—it's too much. No other major examples to mention. No. I was also going to so. say one that's interesting is uh, how people remember chartreuse. Is that a lot of people remember magenta, like a shade of magenta versus um, it being like a shade of like a green. Um, which I, th- I thought that was interesting because it's like I feel like people I people in their thought process they they identify colors with like different feelings, hmm. and like if you did like think about chartreuse in that way, um, you know, like think about it as a magenta, it would just be like, no, you know that, you know, like and hmm. I like, no, I feel like it's definitely a green. It's like I feel like that's very like uh, uh, yeah, green. I, re- I remember chartreuse as being green because the first association that I had with that word was a bottle of 
awful green liquor that I will never be able to forget no matter yeah, how Yeah, that's also I how I think about it as being green is because no. I know what the liquor looks like. Mm-hmm. But you got to keep in mind, is the color that I see the same as the color you see? See, there's the yeah. thing with colors. For sure. That's an interesting point. Yeah. But that's a pretty drastic difference, for sure. That's like opposite on the color wheel, I think. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you'd have a lot of other things screwed up if you're thinking. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's, like that's, a, that's a whole other brain reworking <laughs> episode that we'll have to get into. No, we're going to save that for like part seven or eight of this simulation theory. That's a, uh, oh God. Yeah. It's not quite opposite on the color wheel, but it's, this is never going to end. <laughs> I think, Content. I think the podcast is just now completely falling apart and this is all we're going to do now. Challenging reality, which I'm That's good fine. with. It's right. everlasting content. Okay. So that was some of the, uh, the, the, the more basic or, or more recognizable, um, discrepancies that people associate to the Mandela effect. But where is all this actually coming from? So there's, uh, there's actually a whole lot of possibilities. And as this conversation progresses, we're going to find out why I said earlier that this is now blasted off into what will be an ongoing subseries for us. Uh, that will become much more clear here in a little bit. But before we start veering off into like wild theoretical territory, let's start talking about, or let's start taking a look at some of the more grounded psychological based approaches as to what could be causing this. Now one might call mass hysteria uh, a factor here, but mass hysteria is usually something that is produced out of like a, a panic mode or, or something like that. It spreads like a wildfire amongst insecure communities, things like that. What we're witnessing here is something more along the lines of false memory or uh, as Alejandro brought up mass memory discrepancy effect, which we'll talk about that here in a minute. But let's, let's kick this off by uh, diving into false memory first. I will be the first to admit that the vast majority of our data from this comes from scholarpedia.org and a few other choice papers, which we will be adding into the show notes for anybody who is interested. Now, false memory refers to cases in which people remember events differently from the way they happened or, in the most dramatic cases, remember events that never happened at all. The false memories can be very vivid and held with high confidence. It can be difficult to convince someone that the memory in question is wrong. Psychologists have studied these false memories in laboratory situations in which events are well controlled, and it can be known exactly what transpired. Such experiments have uncovered a number of factors that are responsible for creating false memories. Uh, the false memory phenomenon was initially investigated by psychological pioneers Pierre Genet and Sigmund freaking Freud. I'm sorry, I just... I'm a little Freuded out. Freud was fascinated with memory and all the ways that it could be understood, used, and manipulated. Some claim that his studies have been quite influential in contemporary memory research, including the research into the field of false memory. Pierre Jeannette was, uh, I'm probably saying his name wrong, and, you know, crucify me in email, whatever, was a French neurologist and also credited with a great contribution to memory research. Janet contributed to false memory through his ideas on dissociation and memory retrieval through hypnosis. 
but the concept of false memory ballooned on its own and created its own subset of symptoms and potential causes. So let's take a look at some of the big ones. Yeah? All right, we have inaccurate perception. Alejandro, you want to take this one? Sure, sure, sure. Inaccurate perception. So sometimes the problem begins, you know, with uh, an original event. While it's still occurring, you know, things can be, uh, you know, misconstrued, you know, perceptive and all of that. Um, You know, if the perception of an event is inaccurate, it's not going to be remembered accurately. You know, considering like eyewitnesses, eyewitness testimony, um, you know, if someone is is asked to accurately remember a crime. Uh, they may have seen the perpetrator only briefly, you know, in the dark from a distance, all sorts of different factors, you know, that all contribute to a reduction in ability to see the perpetrator in the first place, which will in turn dramatically reduce uh, one's later ability to identify the person in question. You know, say what you want, but we all look the same when we're crouched behind a dark shadow porta potty. Is this from personal experience? Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the way that sounds is it it feels like that needs a a (laughs) ragtime feel like inaccurate perception. Let me tell you what you're missing. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go vaudeville with it. Yeah. All right. So the next, uh, the next potential, um, Trigger or the next potential symptom of false memory would be inferences. Walker, you feel like uh, taking this one? You up for it? Uh, false memories may also arise from inferences made during an event. The witness to a crime is actively trying to figure out what is going on during the event and uses prior knowledge to make sense of what's happening. Likewise, the reader interprets short stories while reading them, interpreting simple statements like Nancy went to the doctor. Differently, if they knew the character is worried about pregnancy. In both cases, applying knowledge changes what people remember. The witness may remember the robbery as more typical than it was, and the reader will misremember the passage to be consistent with the pregnancy theme. Another simple but highly reliable demonstration, people hear a list of words like bed, rest, awake, tired, dream, wake, snooze, blanket, Doze, slumber, snore, snap, peace, yawn, (gasps) drowsy. (laughs) Later on, people claim sleep was on the list, even though it was not presented. Humans are based to extract meaning from events, and this may lead to confusions about what was inferred versus what actually happened. It may also lead to forgetting of non-semantic details, since people typically attend more to meaning than perceptual and phonological details. For example, most people fail when asked to draw a penny, even though when they have handled thousands of pennies, successfully using a penny does not require one to know the direction of Lincoln's head or the exact wording on the coin. Okay, so, so far that's, that's inaccurate perception. Sometimes a problem begins while the original event is occurring. Now let's let's link this in directly to the Mandela effect or the Mandela incident in particular, since that's kind of what caused all of this, right? Sometimes a problem begins when the original event is still occurring. But what some of us are remembering about Mandela in particular never happened. So the event never happened. The memories couldn't have been triggered by something that didn't happen earlier on, right? Yeah. 
Okay, there's there was no reason for some bizarre seed to get planted in the the people like me who remember Mandela dying in prison. Inferences. False memories may also arise from inferences made during event the witness to a crime is actively trying to figure out. But see, here we are. Again, it's looking at the psychology of trying to make sense of an event that is is happening, like happening right in front of you. But instead, back to Mandela, we're remembering something that never happened. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of inference to be made from something that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that brings us to interference. I'll, I'll take this one. I've punished you two enough already. <laughs> uh, normally, memories are retrieved after time has passed, meaning that many events occur after a memory was stored. Later events may interfere with the retrieval of the original event. For example, Spanish learned in college may come to mind when trying to remember one's high school French. I mean, maybe. The eyewitness may read newspaper accounts of a crime, answer investigators' questions, talk to other witnesses, and imagine an event in her mind's eye. All of these may yield representations that differ from what actually happened, and these new memories may block access to the memories of those events. Consider a classic demonstration in which subjects watched a slideshow of an uh, automobile accident which included a slide showing a red Datsun approaching a yield sign. Later, some participants were asked, did another car pass the red Datsun while it was stopped at the stop sign? The question contained an incorrect presupposition that there was a stop sign and affected later memory. The subject's ability to identify the original slide depicting the yield sign dropped after answering the misleading question. The suggestion does not need to come from an external source. Describing a face reduces a witness's ability to pick it up out of a lineup. Uh, Imagining an event can lead the subject to later think that they completed the action, and telling a story about an event may bias the storyteller's later memory for that event. Again, we're talking about input coming after the fact of where this memory has come into play. So this is what I found fascinating. Like the more and more I read through all this stuff, I'm looking at. I'm like, okay, yes, all of that makes complete and total sense. But there is nothing, particularly about the lot of us who remember Mandela dying in prison. There, there seems to be like no cultural trigger or red herring to kind of mislead us from that. So why are we remembering it? Mm. You know, and with such vivid detail. All right, that brings us around to similarity. You feel enough for this one? Sure. Take it, Alejandro. Similarity. Considering some of the problems that may arise when one tries to recognize whether or not an event occurred in the past. You know, similarity. Recognition tests ask subjects to make decisions about whether or not they've seen each of a series of words, objects, or people before. And some of the test items are old which have been already studied, and some are new. The eyewitness lineup is an example of an everyday recognition test. Hmm. Um, False memories can arise when subjects incorrectly endorse new items on a recognition test due to their similarity to original events. So imagine that witnesses to a crime see a male perpetrator in clear daylight, 
and give a description of the man to police. Later, the police apprehend a man fitting the description and put him into a lineup with other people fitting the same general description. Uh, witnesses pick the subject or the suspect out of the lineup, which is the recognition test, and the, he is later convicted of the crime. However, several years later, after being captured in an unrelated incident, another man who looks like the convicted man confesses to the original crime, and he also possesses information about the crime that only the perpetrator could know. You know, in this similar, or in this case, the man originally convicted of the crime was falsely recognized because of his visual similarity to the actual culprit. Well, this is a hypothetical example. You know, there's been uh, a lot of research that shows that exposure to similar events can create those kind of illusory memories, with a person confusing the original event with one that looks or sounds like it. So. The further and further we dive into this, I'm starting to realize the flaw of a, a lot of the breakdown of this is that whoever, uh, again, we'll have our sources posted in the show notes, but the point of view that this is coming from is uh, trying to generalize or, or focus the idea of like an individual person's memories. Like so somebody who has been triggered to remember something, uh, had an imprint or an, an event happen to them directly. Like he, uh, they keep referencing um, uh, a robbery. Uh, a robbery is not remembered correctly. Okay, like that's fine, but that's a very, very small localized event. We're talking about something that is massively experienced. Like a lot of us. Yeah, this and, would be like easy to kind of explain if it was smaller stuff like it's right more. Yeah, yeah but with yeah. things like where it's it's easily like proven or disproven and also people just remember you know the way they are memories work and trying to understand that you know right like it truly plays into a lot of it that's where the rabbit hole just mm. like sort of spreads wide open no but that's uh yeah that's one of the things that i've noticed is that any uh, attempt to explain this is trying to localize it into a, a smaller control unit um, for for getting data from. But when you're talking about something that is being experienced globally, I mean that's that's pretty crazy, and I don't think anybody has really attempted to to do that much of research on that, like how many people are experiencing this, but it does make you wonder what the spread is like. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. This is definitely from a standpoint of uh normal everyday consensus reality, rather than one that includes yeah. phenomena like the Mandela effect. Well, again, like the purpose of, of this segment in particular is to like, like let's, let's get some of this mm -hmm. out of the way. Let's talk about the psychological um, events and problems that could cause things like this. And let's let's exhaust our options before we start going into the weirder side of it. Eh? Misattributions of familiarity. That's a mouthful. False memories can also arise when subjects misinterpret why new items on a recognition test feel familiar. An elegant demonstration of this is known as the false fame effect. This one I found to be really interesting. Subjects study a list of non-famous names. Sebastian 
Wiesdorf. I don't know who wrote this paper, but man, okay. <laughs> and a day later, decide whether each of a series of names is famous or not. The recognition test. Critically, the final test includes somewhat famous names, like Minnie Pearl. Pretty sure that most of you out there don't know who that is. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Studied non-famous names. Sebastian Wiesdorf and new non-famous names that were not studied in the first session. Adrian Marr. Whatever. Subjects judge the studied non-famous names as more famous than the new non-famous names, presumably because they seemed familiar from their recent exposure. That is, the studied non-famous names were familiar because they were seen in the first session of the experiment and the subjects misattributed this familiarity to fame. So it's playing a mm -hmm. short psychological time trick. Yeah. Like, get the name into your general um, Rolodex. Yeah. And it'll eventually mm -hmm. spill itself back out if the opportunity arises, right? Of course, many of the most striking examples of false memories may be caused by a combination of the factors just described, all of them. Consider how false autobiographical memories are implanted into the laboratory. The original demonstration involved implanting a false memory for having been lost in a mall as a child. The experiment required cooperation from close family members who told the experimenters several true events that each subject had actually experienced. When the subject came into the lab, she was interviewed about three true memories and the critical false one, one that the relatives assured researchers that the subject had not experienced as a child. Subjects were interviewed several times over, the course of a month, and by the end of the experiment, more than a quarter of subjects retrieved some information about the false event. That is horrifying when you really think about right, it. Right, that definitely brings to, to mind some interesting avenues that that could be applied. Yeah, the avenue is called Hebe and Jeebe. <laughs> Jeepers creepers. Where'd you get those peepers? Jeez. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So, since the original demonstration, experimenters have successfully uh, implanted false memories for a wide range of events. We're heading into MKUltra territory right, here, exactly. actually. Yeah. Generally speaking, it is harder to implant false memories of implausible events. Implantation is more likely if the subject elaborates on the suggestion or imagines it, yielding a richer representation. The final step involves misattributing the event to memory as opposed to another source. In other words, implanting false autobiographical memories depends upon many of the factors discussed earlier. The subject brings prior knowledge to bear and elaborates on the suggestion. The subject continues to think about the event after the original suggestion was encoded and the memory was misattributed to childhood rather than to recent experiences in a lab. That is great. <laughs> oh. oh. Gotta I, love a government lab. I feel like I need a cold shower. <laughs> like this. Ugh. Ugh. Well, I have a true memory of having been lost in a mall as a child. 
the Mall of America, actually. So oh, that's, the worst one of them right, all. Like, but <laughs> So that was. Thankfully, I, as far as I know, that's not a false memory. So, but then again, who knows? I don't. I don't know how much time I've spent in government labs lately. I probably should have scanned you before you walked in. <laughs> probably. Too late now. Walker, send help. Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> what is going on? Oh, God. I've lost think, all things. I think you just tripped the, the sleeper code word. <laughs> sleeper must awaken. It's like the... um. The Kill John Lennon uh, sound. It's like from the South Park episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you play it in front of your pet. Like- hey, by the way, they don't pay us to advertise him either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just crowdsourcing, you know, future sponsors. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. So wrapping up the whole uh, uh, false memory thing, not not all people are equally likely to form false memories. Generally speaking, children, older adults are more suggestible than college students in most false memory paradigms, although there are a few exceptions to this rule. It's called waterboarding. Um, something I'm sure that... Most of our government facilities are familiar with. Suggestibility also tends to increase with higher scores on the Dissociative Experiences Scale, the DES. A measure of distraction as well as less normal experiences, such as hearing voices. Uh, Understanding individual differences in suggestibility is an important direction for future research. So that's what I've got from the psychological perception of false memory. But Alejandro, you uncovered another anomaly while we were researching this uh, over a caffeine-addled evening and a couple of laptops. Mass memory discrepancy effect, yes? Yeah. So the mass memory discrepancy effect, MMDE, it's essentially yes. the psych- <laughs> It's essentially the psychological answer to the Mandela effect. You know, the creation of memories can be an imperfect process at the best of times due to the complicated nature of human brains, or at least most human brains. <laughs> uh, you know, what a memory is from a neurological standpoint is the reactivation of a specific group of neurons, the strength of which can fluctuate depending on the individual. If you make an effort to commit something to memory, what your brain's actually doing is persistently striking those particular neurons and synapses, which is creating something akin to a chemical groove through your brain cells. Groovy. Yeah, groovy. The thing to keep in mind (laughs) is that an average brain has somewhere around 100 billion neurons. Each one is connected to several thousand of its neighbors, and they all connect via synapses numbering into the trillions. So obviously the creation, integrity, and overall longevity of memory is a complicated process, and there is plenty of room for error. So as, they pertain, <laughs> so as they pertain to the Mandela effect, uh, mass memory discrepancies, like I said, is the psychological answer to that, uh, they can be reasonably explained away as flawed ideations or false memories mm. that have taken root through errant detail recall on the part of an individual, mistakenly associating existing media with others, mm. or cognitive inferences or unconscious assumptions about a subject. And then all of these, magnified onto the macro scale of a society, could reasonably result in the perception of phenomena such as the so-called Mandela effect. 
So yeah, so clearly we're we're all just delusional in the eyes of the you know psychological community. That's kind of <laughs> where I was thinking before is like, how much do you want to dive into like people just telling you that there's something you might not remember things correctly? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, all of it interests me, of course, but the the ones that I think really do deserve a, a fair amount of attention are the ones that you start to pick up corroborating witnesses from multiple different groups, like across the globe, not localized. And this is why the Mandela effect in particular, uh, it inspires me to look into this stuff is this is something that people across the globe experienced. Now that's been the psychological talk about all this. Like, the way that the brain can make tricks or combine events, things like that. And in a smaller scale, I would say that that would be a reasonable explanation as to, you know, why a whole town remembers things differently than the rest of the world around them. Right. But I think it's worthy of changing the parameters when you start to have hundreds of thousands of people all across the entire world different backgrounds, uh, complete and total disconnection from each other, all start expressing the same memory. That's where it gets interesting mm-hmm. to me, is that one in particular. I And don't get me wrong, I love the, iconog- uh, like the iconography and, and the, um, um, the, you know, the media label um, free-for-all with the Mandela Effect, but it's a cultural event's are the ones that that really stick out to me. Everything else is like a secondary, but there is something to that because so many of us do actually remember him dying in prison before the 90s hit. Like I said, I wasn't around in that day and age. I learned Can you stop rubbing? <laughs> yes, I am old. For the love of God. I always remember learning about um, she like got to deal with over here. Yeah, his role in our our apartheid Africa. Yeah, exactly. For sure, but like not that he I'm not that old. Not that he died. Okay. <laughs> so. I definitely remember him dying. Yeah, in 2013, yeah. Yeah, yeah in in 2013 is when he actually died, but um in this reality. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> All right, so We've touched on the whole psychological science side of this. Let's get a little bit weirder before we start to wrap up this this first installment here, right? So what if it's not a psychological effect? What if it really is the remnants of a parallel universe? Are we getting glimpses into realities that are running alongside of us? There's string theory. There's a thousand different possibilities here. Yeah, and currently, infinite. we are now getting to the point where us challenging our understanding of the nature of reality is starting to get encouraged a little bit more. So that's why I think this one is going to be an ongoing investigation. Yeah. Because We're I got to tell more you. And more information about you know the reality that we live in yeah. every day. Yeah. We live in a reality. Well, a... <laughs> We live in a fraction of a ray of uh, we uh, no we live in all realities, but we can only perceive a fraction of all of those that are around us. 
we already know that from just basic science and what our meat suits can <laughs> actually transcribe of the information and energies constantly flowing around us. We can scale that down on a biological level. We already know that we can only see a, a pretty basic spectrum of light. We mm -hmm. can't see full spectrum. We can't see infrared. We can't see all of the bells and whistles like um, uh, some of our shoddiest cameras from Amazon can provide. Uh, still better than my eyesight, so I'm not going to complain, you know. <laughs> my eyes are whack, man. Right. 2020, baby. But taking, uh, you know, getting to that point where we're actually able to start challenging our perception of the nature of our reality is a truly fascinating experience. Like we, we are heading into uncharted territory for the human consciousness in the sense that it is getting way easier to talk about the more woo woo shit in the world. And that's a celebratory statement. For it me. really is. <laughs> it's yay. Get it's like weird. the silver lining of nobody like believing anything that anybody says anymore, you know? <laughs> hey, man, I was a card-carrying agnostic until I became a paranormal investigator. Now everything is in question. The truth is out there. <laughs> and the truth is much more boring than you think. You can't handle the truth. All right, so now that we've covered the psychological science side of this, or at least as much as we possibly can, and then, uh, as far as I'm concerned, kind of disprove a lot of what people are experiencing as far as the Mandela effect in particular uh, goes, let's get a little bit weirder. What if it's not a psychological effect at all? What if we are really looking at potential remnants, crossovers, or glimpses into alternate or parallel dimensions. Now, we're not going to dive too far off into the rabbit hole with this tonight, because this, my friends, is the exact reason why I said that this is going to turn into a multi-parter that is going to rip my mind apart, and we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. Woohoo! All aboard! Woo! Yeah, <laughs> here's to insanity. Crazy train. <laughs> Get on the bus. Doot, doot. Um, but the... The reason that this one sticks out to me in particular, and the reason that I decided to add this into like part of the season and not one of the offshoot series is, you know, anything that I add into the official season numbers is something that I have personally experienced. Well, I have personally experienced the Mandela effect. Uh, as I already discussed earlier, I do remember him dying in prison in the late 1980s. I remember the funeral march. I remember bits and pieces of the speech that his widow made. And there's a few other things. The stovetop stuffing one, I'm not going to lie, it makes me want to punch my computer screen right now. <laughs> that, that, that one drives me absolutely insane. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit more on a personal note here, just really quick. And ding-a-ling-a-ling, -a that whole trigger warning that I gave you guys at the beginning of the episode, here it is right now. So if you feel uncomfortable with Frank talk about self-harm and bad mistakes, please feel free to skip ahead about a minute and a half. So 
to keep on that time limit, to be very blunt with everybody, uh, when I was young, maybe uh, 15 years old, I was highly over-emotional, didn't know how to deal with my shit, and instead of doing whatever I needed to do to work through that, I did a stupid mistake and I tried to hurt myself. Now, I don't want to make a big deal out of that because that's not what's in question here. What's in question is, did I succeed and did I end up slipping over to a whole different universe? Because there seems to be a few elements on how I remember things that get disrupted around the same time that this happened. I don't want to go too far into it tonight. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. But it is something that I do want to keep digging into the further down this rabbit hole we go. Because there are things that I have noticed that are very different between the ages of 14 and 15 years old for me. And it makes me wonder if I did actually slip over into parallel reality. Who knows? I might be a slider. (laughs) <laughs> so that that is one small personal example of it but this actually opens up the door for a multitude of other wilder more fringe theory explanations for what's going on here why so many of us are remembering things differently and more importantly why so many of us in large groups remember things specifically as opposed to the rest of the world. If it was, you know, again, if it was like a mass hysteria thing, if it was like one person and that idea spread like a wildfire in a small contained area, that would be one thing. But when you're looking at global phenomenon, that is something worth looking into. But that brings us to the forefront of ideas like string theory, multiverse theory. My personal favorite Simulation theory. I like the holofractal universe theory, personally. Now, you brought this up earlier, but you didn't, like, you sent me a few quips about it, but Mm -hmm. I want to hear your take on it. Okay, so holofractal (laughs) universe. This is definitely the the one that I subscribe to because it it ties in the spiritual aspect with the, you know, scientific, even like the quantum science aspect of it, too, because it's. Holofractal, that's that's where every piece of of the you know the structure of space is reflecting all the other pieces on some level. It, it's a fractal holographic nature of the structure of space and how the totality of it all is within each piece. Um, you know, that's unifying physics and 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 quantum science and all sorts of stuff. But essentially I, I wanna read uh how Alan Watts who's such a, a, a phenomenal philosopher Go for it. put it. Yeah. So there's a story. So just a little bit of a preface um, in uh, like Hindu and um, Buddhist literature. There's, there's a story of Indra's net, um, but uh, Alan Watts, his uh, interpretation of it and the way that he put it is a little bit more simple. So I'll go into that. So this is Alan Watts. And I quote, Imagine a multi-dimensional spider's web in the early morning covered with dewdrops, and every dewdrop contains the reflection of all the other dewdrops, and in each reflected dewdrop the reflections of all the other dewdrops 
or in that reflection, and so on ad infinitum. That's the Buddhist conception of the universe in an image. You should read for calm. Thank you. <laughs> Alan Watts is fantastic. Everyone listening should all go listen to Alan Watts. He's do me a favor and, and and type that out on a meme and send it to me, and we'll add it to the sh uh, the show spread for this one. Nice. I like that. That's that's good. Sounds good. Yeah. So, yeah. So essentially, everything's reflecting in everything um, on different levels. Like how when you look at like a, a brain scan and like all the synapses that map, the further you zoom out on the universe, the you know it it starts to look like that. You know, all the clusters of galaxies. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know. yeah. You start to stack uh, certain layers of images. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're we're all one. So that's that's where it links that that spiritual aspect. That is the number one way to kill your audience. By the way, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> no, they have to come to that realization themselves. Yeah, true. we can't tell them. You start uh, telling them, and they get angry. They get angry, but you know, eat some mushrooms. Uh, I'll just say that. Yeah, there you yes. go. Shortcut. <laughs> A shortcut. We are endorsed, fully sponsored uh, by the mushroom community. <laughs> by 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 Solosin and Solosin. <laughs> well, actually, we are fully supported by the Green Mushroom Podcast Network Ooh, and yeah. the Green Mushroom Project. So, uh, wrapping up here, as we kind of veer towards the end of this. Uh, we, we're starting to dive into the obscurity of all this and why, as I said at the beginning, this is no longer going to be a two-parter. This is going to be, this is going to just going to be an ongoing thing between the three of us. I think probably uh, once every six weeks, you'll probably get an episode of this, but we're, we're just going to keep rolling through it because once you start to break out of the idea that, your reality is a fixed three-dimensional point. We're going to challenge that throughout the course of this series. Um, I think that's kind of the goal. Diving into the Mandela effect was a hoot. It's, it was a lot of fun, and we're still not done with it. We still have a, a lot more to talk about it. But doing the research that we did into this has kind of cracked open uh, a few edges of our known universes. and. We're eager to see what's behind. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, any closing thoughts? Um, don't ever roll a dice because you open up six different uh, lanes of reality. Oh, man, just get into playing D&D, &D, dude. It's just, oh, it cracks that whole thing wide open, buddy. 20-sided <laughs> 20, 20, 20 die every, every minute and a half rolling that. Uh, we're we're opening up too many threads. You know oh, what I mean? It's so great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me on uh, this first of what will obviously be a very, very, very long journey into some craziness. Well, that's going to close out episode one of our ongoing series of alternate dimensions and realities. And uh, you can expect the next one whenever we decide to actually do it. But we have some other tricks up our sleeves right now. It will probably keep us busy here for the next few months, and um, you can definitely expect the next big case file to be dropping probably in about a month and a half. So I was hoping for late June, but we're probably going to look at first week of July. Um, 
I'm not going to tell you what we're tackling yet. If you've been paying attention like you should have been, you already know. And if you don't, you're just going to have to wait and find out. Just look to the moon. <laughs> oh. Se- second star to the right. <laughs> and if you're on the Patreon, then you get it now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, join us on Patreon. Um, there's not much on there now, but there is going to be a huge boom of content over there here in the next two weeks. So um, come on out and support us. All right. Love you guys. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us Absolutely. again. Can't wait to come back. It was a blast. Let's get you over here proper next time, Walker. Yeah, for sure. Right. Just got to start teleporting. It happens. <laughs> Oh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, if you were hanging around with me drinking coffee at two in the morning as I was barreling down this rabbit hole, you would understand the uh, utter insanity that is going to come from this particular series. But the good news is, as I have already stated, this is going to go on for a couple of years and it'll be peppered here and there. So um, at least I won't have to obsess over it and drive myself into a frenzy. Right? Right. I'd like to thank XV Planus' resident spooky boys Walker and Alejandro for joining me on this first step down the long and winding road of alternate realities. As stated before, this is a subject we will touch on from time to time, likely between the investigation miniseries that we do. We'll return to this subject here in a couple of months. Now, remember, the next investigation we'll be sharing with you will debut on July 9th. Until then, we have a few more guest appearances and some side quests that we'll be covering over the next month, month and a half. Join us in two weeks for a special visit from Lux Estrada of Luxacult Podcast, where we'll dive into the Green Mushroom Project in greater detail. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, everywhere as XVPlanus. And you can follow my personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes. If you like what we do here, head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and review us. Tell your friends about us. Tell your families about us. Hell, yell at random people at the bus stop about us. We are an independent project, and the only way that we are going to get out there at this point is going to be through word of mouth. So, please, share. You can also support us by going to www.patreon.com slash xvplanus and subscribing to and gain access to our exclusive content, the first batch of which will be debuting this Friday. XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. For more great shows like the one you just listened to, go to www.tgmpodcastnetwork.com. That's www.tgmpodcastnetwork. This show is produced in Durham, North Carolina, and is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planus. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and I'll see you in the between. In Adam Bratio, in Fluctus, Subvillo.